So we're in Exodus chapter 28 to 31 today. If you wanted to look there in the Bible, that's in the pew or in your own. And we're tracking with the people of God who were snatched out of slavery in Egypt by God's mighty hand. Now, we might be a little different than those people, live in a different time, speak a different language, dress and have different habits, but God is the same today as he was then. He's still the same great God. And God was guiding them, and we believe that God is guiding our lives. And the Bible says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And uh, so how do we as individuals listen to God's voice and let him lead our lives and lead us as, uh, as a church as well? And we believe that the greatest joy in life is found in following God through Jesus Christ. So we just want to be following him and to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ and to reach our community and the world with his message and his love. So we're gonna, we see how God moved these people out of slavery in Egypt into freedom uh, in the promised land. And today we're looking at a section that after many misadventures, they were finally able to get uh, free from Egypt and uh, through some of the wilderness, they got to the foot of Mount Sinai, which is the place that was significant in Moses' life because that's where he'd been tending the sheep of his father-in-law when God had showed up in a burning bush and then spoken to Moses and said, go back to Egypt and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Moses didn't want, to want the job, but God said, go get all of those people, bring them out here, and worship me at this mountain. So he obeyed God because he didn't really feel like he had a choice, and he accomplished what God had told him to do. So getting the people all back to Mount Sinai, Moses is able to say, God, I did what you wanted. Last week, we looked in chapter 19 how God said, I carried you on eagle's wings, and I brought you to myself. And how God loves us, and he sees us as his own, and he's, he's guiding us and uh, teaching us uh, to survive and to fly and to, to trust him in all things. And God has Moses tell all the people, wait at the bottom of the mountain, even draws a line, says, don't come across the line. God takes Moses up to receive the Ten Commandments and to get uh, other instructions from God. God is wanting to show, I'm in the details, and I love you, and... I am with you always. And so he has them develop um, uh, the uh, priesthood. And, uh, well, first he talks about the tabernacle and how they'd go about doing offerings in the tabernacle and the furniture they need to construct for it. And uh, the tabernacle is really a, a temporary temple. It's, it's one they can pack up and move with them, but they set it up, and God's trying to say, I am living here among you because you are my people and I am yours. And uh, then also, uh, in chapters 28 to 31, God gives Moses instruction on the priesthood and the garments they're supposed to wear, the consecration of the priests, the altar of incense, the anointing, the washing basins, and the elements the priests need. Now, there's a lot of instruction in this period. It, it um, honestly reads a lot more like uh, loan documents. You know, it's about that exciting sometimes. And and so we're not going to read every word of it, um, but the people who are putting those things together, like in loan documents, you want to be sure, even if it's not your bedtime reading, that everything is exactly the way it should be. And uh, to tell you, there's a lot of instructions, so I put it in, divided it into two different weeks, and then, well, there's a story here, but we're going to look at part two today and then part one next week. And if I didn't tell you, you probably wouldn't know the difference because it's the different things that God's instructing them on. But uh, we're looking then at the priests getting ready to lead God's people into the presence of God. It's showing the importance of worship, that worship is making a place in your heart for God. 
And what we see is that God is preparing people to worship by starting by calling leaders, that the people who become the priests stand in the gap for others. God's saying, we're going to have this temple. It's going to be among a tabernacle. It's going to be among the people, but I'm going to call certain people to be the priests. See, pastors, when they're going to be licensed or ordained, the question that's asked them is, tell us about your call. It's not something you get up one day and say, you know, that looks like a fun job. It only works one day a week. I ought to try that. And um, they want to know that you were called by God and that it was God's idea. And in fact, the writer of Hebrews even brings this out. He says in chapter 5, for every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he's obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Well, then God says in chapter 28, bring near to you Aaron and your brother and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with a spirit of skill that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. Now, here what you have is a lot of specific instructions of how to make the uniforms for the priest, the high priest particularly, and so that they would be marked men when they were serving God, that everybody would say, okay, that's the high priest. I can see it in what he's wearing. In fact, these vestments really became the symbols of power and authority. And so you roll ahead to the day when you had King Herod, who was not Jewish, but came in as an overlord with the Romans over the Jews. And then he built the San Antonio, not San Antonio, the Antonia Fortress right next to the temple area so that they could patrol because they always seemed to, things always seemed to, riots seemed to get started in the temple area. And so they built this right next door where they could watch over and then, then come in if they needed to to save somebody's life or to stop uh, a disturbance. In fact, they saved the Apostle Paul's life there once. Well, they had a closet in this uh, Antonio Fortress where they would keep all of these garments for the high priest and then just loan them to him on the high days when he needed them, basically saying, we own you and don't forget it. Well, the beauty of the garments is expressed, it expressed the holiness of God, that the tabernacle wasn't just a functional building. It was a holy place. It was intentionally beautiful. It was holy because God was going to live there, and God is interested in the beauty of the place as well. So the role of the priest was to represent men before God. And so uh, one of the instructions is to take two stones and to write six names on each stone, for 12 names of the 12 tribes, and then they would be on the breast piece of judgment. So in chapter 28, verse 29, it says, so Aaron will bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breast piece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. And in the breast piece of judgment, you shall put the Urim and the Thummim and they will be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Thus Aaron will bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly which certainly is one of the jobs of the pastor or the priest is to 
bear people's concerns to the Lord, to be thinking about and have on his heart people's concerns and to how to bring that before God and to stand before God as a representative of the people and to ask for God's mercy. The priesthood here is regarded with tremendous seriousness. It's a priesthood to the Lord. And if the priest does things improperly, the priest could die. And it was no light thing to be in the presence of the living and holy God. Verse 31 says, You shall make the robe of the ephod all of blue. It will have an opening for the head. Who here, by the way, likes to sew? Do I have some seamstresses? Come on. Thank you. This is for you, okay? This is the pattern. It shall have an opening for the head in the middle of it with a woven binding around the opening like the opening in a garment so that it may not tear. On its hem you will make pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns around its hem with bells of gold between them, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate around the hem of the robe. And it will be on Aaron when he ministers and its sound will be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out so that he does not die. If he does, we have a rope that we, on his foot that we can drag him out. And we'll know that he's not moving because we won't hear any of the bells. You will make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it, like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord. And you will fasten it on the turban of a, by a, blue, a cord of blue. It will be on the front of the turban. It will be on Aaron's forehead. And Aaron will bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. It shall regularly be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord." You shall weave the coat in checker work of fine linen, and you will make a turban of fine linen, and you will make a sash embroidered with needlework. Now I realize most of us are glazing over as we hear this kind of thing, because you're just going to look at the garment and say, that looks nice. I would wear that, or ooh, that's for somebody else. Okay, and, and yet it was important to God to give this level of instruction to show he is noticing even the details. And this Urim and Thummim, a difficult Hebrew words, probably mean light and truth. And the intent is showing that God wants his people to make a covenant with him, and he wants them to know what he's thinking and what he wants from them. So what we see here is that God is a God of dignity and honor, and he's to be worshipped in beauty. And there's examples of the moving temple and the beautifully dressed priests. Now, I don't know if this is a new idea to you that God appreciates and recognizes beauty. You know, of course you can wear anything you want uh, to come into God's presence, and God still loves you. But uh, there are those times, even with the ones you love, where you put in extra effort to look your best, to dress your best, to get yourself ready for something special, and those efforts aren't wasted when you're doing it for God to put extra effort in. Talked to somebody this week. He and his uh, dear wife got all dressed to the nines to go to something special, and they got to it, and they found out they were exactly seven days early. <laughs> so I said, so did you go out to eat, you know, at a fancy place? He said, no, she didn't want to. I said, oh, to get her all dressed up like that, you got to, you know, maximize the moment and uh, uh, make it a special time. What you see here also is God is holy and to take worship seriously. And to not desecrate God's place of worship. In fact, there's a sad story woven into this because Aaron and his wife, and her name is Eli Sheba, had four sons. And we just read their names, Nadab and Abihu, Eliezer, and the last guy. And <laughs> thank you, Ithamar. And the <laughs> I forgot. I do that with my own kids, too. Um, 
the two oldest ones had actually been included with Moses and Aaron when they went up the mountain with the 70 elders. And so Nadab and Abihu had been there. They had heard God's voice from the mountain themselves. And they received all the instruction. And they came down and got everything set up. And they were to be the priests in the tabernacle, in the house of God. And somehow these two, and this story is kind of half in the shadows, but you could read more of it if you want in Leviticus 10. But they failed to take their responsibilities seriously. And they got playing with the fire of God in the tabernacle. And God used the fire to take their lives because they trespassed the law of the tabernacle and they had taken God's holiness lightly. And Eliezer, the third son, ends up becoming the next high priest after Aaron. The priest represents the people of God and God to the people. So the priest stood as the mediator between God and man and the prayers and the spiritual communication are moving in both directions from the people to the priest and the priest is talking to God. God is talking to the priest. The priest is talking to the people and he ends up being the conduit or the mediator between God and man. All this was transformed and improved with the coming of Jesus in the New Testament. That God is still calling people to himself by salvation that's offered in Jesus Christ. Now Jesus is the mediator between God and man. And people who hear God's word and respond in faith and obedience are God's special people. It says you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so we are called to be the people of God. And Jesus is that bridge between God and man. Now, let's go back to Exodus 29. It says, now this is what you shall do to Aaron and his sons to consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. And there's four steps in their ordination process. There's a washing because holiness is moral purity on behalf of man. And those who serve God need to be clean vessels. There's an anointing with oil, which symbolizes a, whole, a special touch of the Holy Spirit. Israel didn't crown her kings. Israel anointed the kings. And the Messiah is literally called the anointed one because the whole Messiah would be filled with the Holy Spirit. There were sacrifices, a sin offering, a ram offering, which a gift given to God, a peace offering. And then there's an anointing with blood. Now, these priests needed to start with a sacrifice first for their own sin, asking for their own forgiveness, their own cleansing before God. Then along came Jesus, who's the perfect Lamb of God, lived a sinless life, he was without spot. He needed no such sacrifice. He, he put an end to this entire ritual. While he hung on the cross, the, the curtain that separated the holy place from everybody else was torn in half from top to bottom, saying, look, Jesus has paid the price. You now have direct access to God by Jesus Christ. So how different is the family of faith in the New Testament era, in the New Testament church? Jesus provided redemption for everybody in the entire world. So it's been accomplished by Christ's sacrifice on the cross. There's no more need for an earthly tabernacle, an earthly priesthood, animal sacrifice. God has moved out of a building. He's moved into the human heart. You know, the whole point of why we're upgrading and adding buildings and improving things is that they're better tools for us to use, but none of it's going with us to heaven. And the work that God has for us to do is beyond any of the buildings, and it's an important work that God is calling us to, and we still have the challenge to do it. 
with or without buildings. We're just saying the buildings would help us move that direction, but I'm wanting you to see the important part is the part that God is calling us to do and to be as his people and who we are in Jesus Christ. And in this Old Testament system that uh, God gave to Moses, they had to have a continual sacrifice, one in the morning and one in the evening. And the, uh, the covenant with Moses was maintained only through sacrifice because man was such a sinner and God was so holy that a covenantal arrangement needed constant renewal and cleansing. Well, look at our counterpart in Jesus. Romans 12 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That's kind of an oxymoron, a living sacrifice. Sacrifices are usually dead. We're alive. He's saying, die to yourself regularly. Put God in charge in your life. He can run the whole universe. He can do a pretty good job with your life, too. Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God is saying, I want to dwell among my people. I'm going to have a, a holy place, a tabernacle, so you can know I am with you. We know he's with us by his Holy Spirit alive in our hearts, a tabernacle or a temple not made with human hands. They had a system with priests and sacrifices. God wanted them to know, I am your God. Look what I've done for you. I brought you out of Egypt. I've preserved you through the wilderness. I've gotten you past starvation and enemies and thirst. I've given you the law. I've given you the covenant. I've given you the tabernacle. I've given you the priesthood. And then he ends, he says, I am the Lord, your God. I love you. You are mine. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome and glorious deeds, doing wonders. Chapter 30, he goes on with some of the other fine particulars of the incense that they would use, which is a sweet-smelling material that heralds the presence of a king. And often when it's lit on fire, well, then it will go up in smoke and kind of a symbol of prayer. Washing once again shows up. It's one of the persistent biblical themes because God is in the process of cleansing us so that we can be morally clean people and in his sight. And so the priests are busying themselves helping people become holy. And three things were used in the temple to sanctify men and things, blood and water and oil. The point here is that God is the one who's telling man, here's how I will be worshipped. This concept goes counter to the idea that religion is man's quest looking for God and that sincerity alone is adequate and anything we, any path we go, want to go will get you there. No, it won't. The Bible says Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Well, in chapter 31, you see that God gifted people with intelligence and abilities and skills so they could bless the whole family of faith. Exodus 31 says, The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Oholiab, the son of Ahasmach, of the tribe of Dan, and I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. Look at this list. 
the tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony, the mercy seat that's on it, the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils, the pure lampstand with all its utensils, and all the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the basin and its stand, and the finely worked garments with holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests, and the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense for the holy place. According to all that I have commanded you, they shall do." God has gifted these people with abilities and intelligence and skills and knowledge and artistic abilities to be used for God's glory. Now, you might not have thought of it quite like this. You might have thought, you know what? I got good at what I'm good at because of my efforts, because of my abilities, because of my um, efforts and how I've applied myself. And if other people just applied themselves and worked as hard as I have, they could do better. But that isn't a taking into account that God created and God gifted and God appreciates those talents being used for Him. So think about it. Do you have talents, abilities, skills that aren't being used for God? You know, as we head into a construction project, we're going to need a lot more of that. And we already have the crew, which is clean and repair everywhere. They do that Tuesday mornings. And I admire those guys. They have some real skills to fix this place up. When you get into a construction project, the part they usually give me is like a wheelbarrow and a pair of gloves. And to say, look, you know, because all those artist people I've noticed often leave a lot of messes behind for somebody else to organize and to clean up after them. And that isn't mentioned here in the text, but I'm sure it was a very important part of, of the project. So if you've got a particular skill and you say, if somebody would just ask me, I would use that for the Lord, well, then I'm asking you. But you've got to let us know because we can't read your mind. And to, to get those skills out, it says, I have filled him with the Spirit of God. Now, this is radical, a statement, I think, because I think we uh, often just assume that the Holy Spirit was born on Pentecost after Jesus lived and died and lived again and then left. Then the Holy Spirit was given. No, the Holy Spirit has been God from before the beginning of time. And he's been doing God's work in this world since the first day of creation. And the Holy Spirit is not often front and center. Even in this story, if Moses hadn't told us these people were powered by the Holy Spirit, we probably wouldn't have thought of it. But God's Spirit lives and works in the hearts of men and women and often behind the scenes to, to make the whole body better, to lift up and to encourage and to guide and direct. So, if Jesus is in your heart, then let his spirit work in and through you. All this work was being done by these craftsmen. The Holy Spirit was present in Israel. The Holy Spirit is always present in God's people. That's why both Israel and the church survive heresy within and stupidity and why they survive wickedness and the sword of persecution and the drugging effect of the temptations of the world. Because the Holy Spirit is the constant strength. The Holy Spirit is also the spirit of art and beauty. And we don't talk about that very often. But people who have artistic abilities were gifted that way by God. I always thought beauty is only skin deep, but ugliness is to the bone. <laughs> but God can take ugliness and transform it into something beautiful. He can take brokenness and transform it into something beautiful. And these artists were experts and professionals in their own right, but they received an additional empowering of God's Spirit to do a specific task for God's house. All this is in the context of worship because worship is making your heart a place where God can live. 
And it's clear from all the preparations that God wanted a place among his people and went great to great lengths to show people how important this was to him. I will dwell among the people of Israel and I will be their God. I am the Lord God. He is still the same God today. And eventually he came into the world in the person of Jesus and he replaced the system of priest and tabernacle and animal blood sacrifices with something better, himself. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ is the high priest who's the bridge between God and man. Jesus Christ is God who comes to dwell among us, no longer in a tabernacle made with hands. He comes to live in a human heart that invites him in. Shall we pray? Dear Jesus, thank you for being our God. Thank you for giving this system to Moses so we could see how much it matters to you and how far off the mark we really are. Thank you that you came into this world to live and to die and to live again and then to live through us. So we, your people, honor and adore you. We worship you today. May we follow you with our lips and with our lives. And I pray that you would just bless us each step of the way as we attempt to follow you. And may we walk with you and enjoy sweet fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen.